podcast listener, even if you are alone in your entrepreneurial journey, know that today, right now in your earbuds, you are joined by thousands of entrepreneurs from all around the globe seeking to grow better, more profitable, location-independent businesses. If you'd like to learn more about what we do and download our entire back catalog, check out tropicalmba.com. Today's show is the story of entrepreneurs and specifically listeners of this show connecting with each other to help each other out on their entrepreneurial journey, which is what this whole thing is all about. If you're listening to this today, I implore you, you don't have to do it alone. Ian, can you think of a breakthrough business moment that didn't involve another important person in your life? Most of the time it does. I'm excited about today's story, Dan, because a lot of what we call like luck, serendipity, things like that. This person got lucky. Oh, this person just happened to meet this other person. Are they in the right place at the right time kind of thing? Exactly. This is that story. And I think what people will find surprising is that luck doesn't always mean luck. Today's story is one of both generosity and a gift. And on the other hand, turning a helping hand into, in this case, we have concrete numbers, building a business from zero to over $50,000 in monthly recurring revenue in just one year. So it all starts with Greg Gerber, who posted in our forum, the DC, a few months back, that he was willing to give one other community member a chance to come to Bangkok, to come to the conference, DCBKK, for free. And not only was he doing that, but he was offering the flight, the ticket, the hotel, and everything. And others got on board. Like Ben McAdam, who is an accountant, the virtual CFO, offered his services. Jimmy and Doug from Manal threw in a backpack. It became this sort of explosion of love in the forum. What did you think when you saw this, Ian? I thought, what an amazing opportunity. And then after I found out who it went to and the backstory, I thought we got to get this on the podcast. So here's Greg explaining what motivated to make this gift in the first place. I just remember, so I think it was like 2013, I was traveling through Southeast Asia and I met a bunch of people from who had come from DCBKK. They were all living in Chiang Mai at the time. And at the time, I didn't even have a business. I'd left my previous company and I was kind of figuring out what my business would be. Turns out it was something completely different. But, you know, I was living on, you know, 10 bucks a day and backpacking around. And I just thought, how cool would it be to be able to, like, offer someone who was in my position back then the opportunity to go to an event like this? Now that my business is doing really well, like, what's a cool way to give back? So that was the idea. What was your criteria when you were speaking? That's a lot of work. How did you evaluate the candidates? It was very loose, for sure. I really just had a conversation with everyone. Some people hopped on like super nervous, and, which I thought, which made me nervous. <laughs> Some people hopped on and were just like, they're just like, I'm not going to win this thing, so I don't even know why I'm here. And like, everyone kind of came at it with a different vibe. But yeah, I just talked to everyone. I talked to them, like where they're at in their business and their life and just kind of like what their goals are for their business was just something I, I threw in there. I really wanted to just find people who had a real business too, or were at the beginning of like what sounded like it could be, you know, a grand adventure with a new business. And I did find someone like that. 
My name is Madeline Lambert, and my company is Content Refined, which is an end-to-end content marketing solution for your business. I started it just about a year ago, actually. It's been a crazy year. I called her that day because I wanted to make sure that she was like still free and still able to go on this trip if she was the recipient. And she was like out on a lake camping for a few days or something. <laughs> and when I was on the phone with her, it's just like, oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> a lot of that. Well, I was actually at my cottage that doesn't have very good service and no internet. I got a message from him and he was like, hey, call me. So I called and I'm lucky it was a good day up there because if it had been like rainy or overcast, that call would have never gone through. I called him and he said, hey, I, I want to send you to DCBKK. And I screamed and my mom thought that I'd like fallen. There's sort of like a cliff area up near the top of the, where the cell reception is. So I screamed and my mom comes like running out and she sees that I'm on the phone. Yeah, I was like pretty much, I was in disbelief for a little while and I was just over the moon excited. I kind of realized that when you're either not just an internet entrepreneur, but any type of entrepreneur, and especially if you work remote, like I have a team, but we're all spread across the world. And I kind of feel like the guys that I've met in the DC, they're like my colleagues, right? If you have like a nine to fiver, you go to work every day, you see the same people, you go out for drinks after, and you've got like this built in kind of friendship based around work. And when you work remote, you don't necessarily have that. And I feel like the people I've met in the DC have kind of become that. We can hang out and just meet new people, talk about work stuff, which, you know, isn't necessarily cool to do all the time when you're out <laughs> hanging out with, with your wives. You can just kind of like have a good time. Man, it was so inspiring to meet these people. I walked away with a book of ideas. I'm not even joking. Like I wrote action items down in my notebook and there were honestly probably about 30 of them that I wanted to do. I knew that if I went home immediately, I would be tired. I'd be jet lagged. So what I did was I booked four or five days down in Phuket and I had like a work vacation where I basically said, nobody talked to me. (laughs) I'm working for five days and I am getting through this list of action items. So that's what I did. I can read you my numbers over the last few weeks. I just did them. My business has grown significantly since DCBKK. I just think that it was an incredible event. Awesome parties. The rooftop parties were so fun. I actually also got to room with a stranger who is now a friend of mine, Nicole Seelinger. I've made lots of new friends and I can see myself going to a ton of DC events in the future. Now, we're going to get back to those numbers that Madeline mentions and, and how they've increased since the event, because they're super impressive. But, but Ian, you really took the time to dig into her backstory in this interview. Yeah, I thought it was important because of what we mentioned before. I think so often these stories, people only get to hear half of them, and they just feel like people got lucky. People offered that golden ticket. Yeah. And I don't think that that's the case at all here. And a little bit later in the interview, we're going to get into some of the things that Madeline has to say about the challenges of entrepreneurship as she sees them, especially for women. But first, the part of her story that will be all too familiar to many listeners. I was living in Toronto. I was working at like a small startup medical tech company. 
it was a great job. I just hated Toronto so much. Like I had a great social life. It was just the daily commute. Basically, I would get in my car, I'd sit in traffic. My commute was really only 10 kilometers, but it was like an hour there and an hour back and it was just it was just really crappy. <laughs> there was nothing wrong with the company. It was a really great job that actually opened up a lot of doors for me. But basically, I I would go in and it was very much a 9 to 5 job. It was a very agile company, so it was growing drastically during that time. And I grew professionally a lot over those two years. And I grew to really embrace technology and understand it. And it was very empowering, actually. I have no background in tech at all. My degree is in law and human rights. Over the course of two years, I hopped around from different roles. Once I was a project manager... I realized that that was sort of the ceiling of the company and that there was going to be probably no more growth beyond that. I was spending like a lot of time up in Collingwood, Ontario, where I'm located now, where the guy that I was was and still am dating was living. So, I was spending a lot of time snowboarding on weekends, running on the trails. Yeah, it's very 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 outdoorsy oriented here. And so I was pushing it a little bit with that job where I was like working from home a lot which was Collingwood and trying to push my time up here and that made me feel a little bit guilty and over some time doing that I realized that like I shouldn't feel guilty for doing what I like and so that's when I realized that that I wanted different things How concerned were you about like money at this point? Cuz if I'm in your position I'm thinking well like yeah, I really like snowboarding, I really like running, but the reason I'm able to do those things is because I'm getting this paycheck. So basically, if you've ever like lived in Toronto, it's really 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 hard to get ahead. So I was actually the poorest I've ever been <laughs> while I was living in Toronto. And that's because, you know, I lived in a apartment that was the size of a shoebox and it was costing me like 2 grand a month. And then every time you leave your house in Toronto, like if you have a social life, you're spending quite a bit of money every time, you know, whether you're going to Jays games, Raptors games, restaurants, like there's there's so much to do that yeah, if you're social, you're not going to have much money at the end of the day. And I was actually saving money by spending my time in Collingwood. <laughs> were you worried because if i was in your position i would say like well yeah i really love these activities but i've got to figure out a way to keep this going so what were your thoughts i was really worried so when we had decided to make the transition that i would be the one to move i was worried because the job market is not very good here there's not a whole lot of job opportunities so i was applying online to a bunch of different sort of tech sector jobs up here and i wasn't getting a single callback and that started to stress me out over time and you know we had put a a timeline for september that that was going to be the latest that i would be moving and so when august rolled around i had to quit my job in toronto without anything lined up and this is a decision that you and your partner made i guess was that you were going to move to this small town you were going to quit your job but the hope was that you were going to have a job So at that point I was I had basically decided that I was going to move up here probably wait tables until I could figure something out 
but I never had to because I met John, my now business partner. And so that's when the whole content refined ball started to roll a little bit. And so you're getting to the point where you're about to start waiting tables, but you meet this guy, John, and tell me about how you met him and your first conversation. Man, so it was awesome and so serendipitous. My friends in Ottawa knew that I was in a bit of a pickle at this point where I didn't have a job lined up, that I was absolutely moving to Collingwood. And so one of my best friends from home reached out to me and she said, hey, I have a friend on Facebook that I went to university with four years ago that is looking for an intern for a new tech company in Collingwood. What are the odds? You should apply. So I reached out immediately and I said, I sent actually a cover letter basically explaining my situation and I made it kind of funny (laughs) and quirky. And so I sent that off. I got a response back from this guy named John and he said, hey, do you want to come in for like an interview? I said, yes. And so that's when I met John for the first time. And my first impression of John was that he was like this super hyper geek (laughs) And he was like really excited by the prospect of somebody with like tech experience coming to Collingwood and working for him. And what was the company? Have you ever heard of the the blog Authority Website Income? No, I have not. Okay, so it's basically a blog on like how to make money online. Okay. And so at that point, he was really into, he had a large portfolio of money sites. So a lot of like Amazon affiliate sites. And he basically was growing his portfolio and trying to make money that way. And then he was selling some of his processes and procedures. Like he was a little bit all over the place at that point. But I mean, he offered me a great, (laughs) a great wage or salary at that point. And I thought, why not? And did he actually have a physical office or were you going to be working from home? So we rented out like this co-working space where we would come in four days a week and he has three little kids under the age of four and his whole thing is like, I want to work, make a lot of money, but I also want to be home with my family and ski with them on weekends. So we had a schedule where we worked from Monday to Thursday from eight to three. You were hired by John, but eventually you guys became business partners. So tell me how that works. Yeah. So he basically needed somebody to proceduralize the content creation for his portfolio of websites. I didn't know anything about content marketing at that point, so I did a lot of research, worked really hard on defining that process. Once we got the ball rolling and he started seeing more traffic, I had hired between 10 and 15 writers. I figured out how to do keyword research. I then made like processes around all of these tasks. So processes around keyword research, processes around outsourcing content, processes around hiring, firing writers. So basically at the end of a couple months, we had this portfolio of processes and procedures that would then lead to consistent, high quality content creation for websites. But through this process, I I take it that you came up with the idea for your company. Exactly. How did that transition happen? How did it become that you became business partners and that you started this new venture? So basically, after we saw that his rankings were doing well and that this was proceduralized, he probably didn't really need me anymore. So I basically said, hey, John, you have a list of 
20,000 followers on your authority website income blog. Let's pitch this as a productized service and make a little business out of it. And so that's how Content Refined was born. And so if I'm in your position, like, this is pretty sweet, right? Because I'm in this little town, I get to go skiing, I'm off at three o'clock every day. Why did you want to take it to the next level? Like you had a cush job, you could have easily told John, like, I'm valuable here. Why did you want to take it to the next level and start a company? I had really felt empowered by the entrepreneurial aspect of what I was doing. And so I think that was just the logical next step for me. And I think that I'm just an entrepreneur and that's just the logical next step for any entrepreneurial spirited person. A few days ago, I was at a search engine optimization conference. And when the speaker from stage said, how many people in the room use hrefs.com to rank their sites number one in Google? The entire audience of hundreds of SEOs raised their hands. Yes, hrefs.com is a tool that is synonymous with ranking your site number one in Google. It allows you to uncover what people in your niche are searching for and how difficult it might be to rank for the all-important number one spot in those searches. Better yet, it helps you to uncover little-known niches of profitable terms that will drive customers to your business. So go to hrefs.com, that's A-H-R-E-F-S.com for a free 14-day trial. And during that free trial, you'll get access to all of their tools and data for two weeks at no charge. That's invaluable. And hrefs is also offering one lucky TMBA listener the chance to win an annual subscription valued at over $2,000. To enter that draw, just share this episode on Facebook and let us know about it. Thanks again to hrefs.com for sponsoring the show. Tell me a little bit about where this company is today at the end of 2017. Basically, we started at zero. So we had some cute little goals that within six months, we would be at like $10,000 monthly recurring revenue. So after the first couple months, we realized like we were already there at like $10,000 monthly recurring rev. Honestly, I have been desperately trying to build the foundation of this company with like everything I have <laughs> at this point. And it's been a lot of work. It's been a lot of trial and error, but it's been a very rewarding year for sure. And can you share with us what your reoccurring revenue is right now after this first year? Right now, we're sitting between fifty dollars and $60,000 monthly recurring rev. And that all happened within 12 months? Yes. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, it happened really fast. So staffing was by far my biggest issue. I was basically doing everything up until May when we hired a summer student to help. And so we built up some extra capacity. We actually, that was the first time, this sounds ridiculous, but that was the first time that we had time to understand our numbers. So it wasn't until April that we actually hired somebody specifically to help us understand our numbers because I don't think that you can have a business without understanding your income. So that helped out a lot. And I think that was pivotal for the business at that point. How much skiing are you doing right now? Right now, there's no snow. There's about to be snow though. There's about to be snow. I've got a pretty good handle on the work-life balance thing. John and I set out a business plan. On the front page, we have our vision, our mission, and our values. And lifestyle is our number one 
value. I want to talk a little bit now about DCBKK, which is our annual event in the DC, the Dynamite Circle, which is our group of entrepreneurs, which you are a part of. At what point did you decide it would be a good idea to join the DC? Well, I had actually been listening to you guys for a bit. And John is a big listener of the Tropical MBA as well. And at one point he sort of suggested, because he knows I like to travel, and he sort of suggested, he said, would you want to join this? And I said, absolutely, yes. So he basically helped fund that for me, which was really nice. So that's when I first started. I think I joined in May or June. And it has been an incredible community of people. And I've, I feel as though I, it was probably the best decision aside from starting Content Refined that I've made this year. You got into the community. When were you made aware of DCBKK? Because a lot of times it's not super clear when you're in our community, like what other things are that's going on. So tell me what your first impressions were. I heard about DCBKK pretty much as soon as I joined. I definitely knew that it was not in my budget this year, just because, I mean, I started a company this year. It just wasn't going to be a reality for me. And then something happened, and this is a story that I want to tell, which is Greg Gerber offered a ticket to DCPKK. And so what he did was he posted up in the forum. He said, hey, I'm going to sponsor somebody to come to this event. You can apply here, and I want to hear your story. And so what did you think about when you saw this post from Greg? I thought, that's wicked. This guy must be badass. And I applied for it like right away. He contacted me like two days later. So before we get into talking about what Madeline took away from DCBKK this year, I want to mention that Madeline also went to another conference this year where she was one of very few women. This was a business conference and one that she felt like she was talked down to a little bit because she had a small business. And I think that this is worth noting is I am always very interested in those that are starting off, especially because I feel like I have a lot to learn from these people in terms of what is going on on the cutting edge? What is going on now that they're discovering that I didn't know when I first started my business? So although I think it's easy to dismiss these people that are just starting out at conferences, I think it's worth taking note. I think it's worth talking to them. I think it's worth understanding what's going on on the front lines because it changes year to year in this rapidly evolving landscape that we're all working in. But anyways, let's get back to Madeline's numbers. I'm always interested to learn how much money these businesses are making. So after I sort of spent my five days in Phuket working on the business, I started noticing a huge spike in my numbers. So right now I do my weekly metrics and right now, yeah, the week of the 25th of October, which was right after DCBKK, we grew by 24%. Overnight, 24%? Basically overnight, like okay. within a week. And then the week of November 2nd, we took a tiny little dip, but after 24% growth, that's <laughs> not weird. So we took a 3% dip. And then the following week, November 8th, we jumped up another 5%. And then this week, November 15th, we jumped up another 20%. So we have grown a lot since DCBKK. And I do think that it's because of the steps that I took right after the conference to make sure that I was getting through those action items. Can you give me some concrete examples of things that you took away and things that you feel like are affecting the numbers in this way? First of all, I increased my prices. Okay. 
I proceduralized certain things that had been sort of stuck on my plate for a long time, just because I had that mentality, you know, oh, this is easier for me to do. So I spent time to proceduralize that, create some documentation around it, and then I outsourced it. So getting stuff off of my plate was very important for this growth so that I could focus on sales. And then just different sales tactics that I've taken away from DCBKK. And my pipeline is still full, and 50% of those prospects are leads from DCBKK. So at DCBKK, many of you know, Friday is the mastermind component. You sit down around a table, seven other entrepreneurs that are somehow related, whether they're in a similar business or making similar amounts of money, they're working on similar projects. And then Saturday and Sunday, breakout sessions and talks. And so where was it that you got most of this information to grow your business so fast? I got a lot of it from my mastermind. The Friday mastermind was, I think, the most valuable day. The hot seat was such a great time for me to present my problems and get great feedback from the people I was sitting with. I thought it was amazing. And so the way the hot seat works is, again, you're with seven other entrepreneurs, you get three to four minutes to explain what your biggest business challenge is, and then 20 to 25 minutes for other people in the group to ask you questions and give you options on how you should proceed. Do you remember what you brought up to the group as your biggest business challenge? Yes, I do. My biggest business challenge was definitely scaling my team while keeping it profitable. Another big business challenge was how to get existing clients off of my plate because I have been with them for a year and it feels like a breakup and I don't want them to feel that way, right? So that was another really big problem for me that they helped me work through. Another one that I brought up was the fact that I am a young female entrepreneur and at some point, like I want to have kids and it's that's going to be a problem for the business. And <laughs> so how to systematize the business to the point where I can step away from it in order to start a family. That's interesting because I'm on that path. It's going to happen a month from now for me. Oh, amazing. Congratulations. Yeah. So did you meet anybody that you felt like had some good answers to that at the conference? So I was around a group. My mastermind was all males. And I think that question kind of freaked them out. They didn't really know what to say. And they immediately said, go talk to this woman. She'll have all of the answers. <laughs> <laughs> so your mastermind was all men. Yes. It was awesome. But there were quite a few females at the conference as well. What is that dynamic like for you? Because obviously I'm a guy. And I'd say this industry is mostly men. But there's a lot of female entrepreneurs, whether or not they come to this conference. You know, I think that that number for us at DCBKK and at our events is definitely increasing. But what is it like to be in an industry that is primarily male-dominated still? I think that it is empowering. I think that a lot of women don't become entrepreneurs for strictly biological reasons. You know, it's, it is riskier for women to be entrepreneurs and to live the life they want to live down the road. When you say riskier, what do you mean? Like, I'm not going to get a maternity leave, right? Like, there's not that built-in component of security that will allow for women to start families and secure their jobs. And do you think this is a big driver behind why women don't join this movement? Yeah, I do. And I think that there should be additional resources for female entrepreneurs to have those same opportunities. 
It's interesting that you brought up the other conference that you went to and you said, you know, I kind of had a smaller business. People weren't as willing to talk to me, you know, and I've heard that criticism too of women at conferences too, which is like, oh, she's a woman. Like, what could she possibly know about my business? And this isn't like make-believe. This is really happening, I think, at some conferences. Have you encountered this? Yes, at that same conference, you know, I I felt that people that were giving me business advice and maybe maybe this is my feminism sort of tapping in here but I did feel talked down to a little bit just by the fact that I had a smaller business and that I was one of the few women at this conference. You know, I hadn't really thought about the biological reasons and the security built into some of these jobs before but I think one of the cool things about entrepreneurship is it is an equal opportunity. There is no boss holding us back. There are very few restrictions. It is ourselves that is mostly holding us back from these opportunities. And so I, I can see your point is why entrepreneurship may be empowering for women. Do you have advice for other women who are faced with these problems? Yeah, I think two different things. So A, confidence always. People aren't going to take you seriously if you don't take yourself seriously. So confidence is definitely a huge part of that. For the more like realistic step by step, like how to be a female entrepreneur and still and have a family and stuff, you need to build that into your business plan. And when you have a male business partner, you need to be very transparent about what your goals are down the line. And if having a family is one of your goals, that is part of your business plan and make it a goal and a priority and build your business around that. I want to circle back around in terms of the opportunity that Greg provided. You know, a bunch of other people jumped on that and offered things as well. But Greg was the first to come in and say, hey, here's a ticket to come to DCBKK. Do you have any ideas about how we might be able to recreate this for other people and make this a scalable process? Because I mean, the experience that you had seems amazing. So it would be great to bring this to other people. It would be amazing. And to be honest, like if Content Refined is doing keeps doing well, like I will absolutely be doing this next year to give somebody else the opportunity to experience what I've experienced, because I do think that it is life changing. So Madeline, now that you're back in Canada, and you've had this experience, tell me about what the next 12 months is going to look like, because I think a lot of people can only dream about the kinds of success that you've had the last 12 months, you know, going from zero to 60,000 monthly recurring revenue. Do you have similar goals? Well, I would love to 10x this year. <laughs> but um, Ambitious. <laughs> I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility for somebody like you. I would love by mid next year to be at sort of 100, 150,000 monthly recurring revenue. I think that would be a good goal. And I would like to make the hiring process scalable without it really affecting my margins. That's a really, really hard process, but I would like to continue to scale and learn how to do that effectively. Within the next couple years, I would love to start a new project and have Content Refined sort of running itself. I think that it's fun to be involved, but when you have founded this company, it's also really tough to be involved sometimes. Your ego and your heart is in it a little bit too much, And it's good to be able to remove yourself a little bit. Thanks, Madeline, so much for uh, sharing your story. And we look forward to tracking with you in the future and seeing how Content Refined goes. And I'm definitely interested in this new venture. I know you just teased it a little bit, but this is what happens. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm super grateful. 
And what do you think of people who write off stories like this as a case of the good lucks? I think they're wrong. There's a certain element of serendipity. There may be a little bit of luck. I think this is what successful people refer to as luck, which is essentially creating opportunities for yourself. Madeline was not scratching a lottery ticket in any way, shape, or form. In my opinion, she was putting herself out there on a regular basis aggressively, and then she started bumping into the right people that helped fulfill her reality and what she wanted to be in terms of success. So do I feel like she could have done it without these people? Absolutely not. But she was searching for these people, and she was absolutely putting herself out there to be vulnerable and to catch these opportunities. You know, Ian, one of the first opportunity that ended up coming her way happened in in the way that she tells it right after she accepted the possibility of waiting tables, which I don't actually think is a big coincidence. It's often when we sort of break the belief system. In other words, she was willing to sacrifice, right? Like she was willing to go back to waiting tables in order to get an entrepreneurial career off the ground. And I think for so many of us, Good things don't start happening until we take that leap of faith. To point out the difference there, Dan, because I think there's two ideas of waiting tables. There's this idea that like, yeah, I could wait tables. And then like, yeah, I will wait tables. (laughs) And a lot of people think that they could. Not a lot of people are willing to actually do that. A little bit of inside baseball, thinking about what Greg did here, Ian. When I first saw this, I didn't really know what to think of Greg's offer because it was so out there. I would never have expected this. You know, I was a little suspicious of it, to be honest. And I think what made this work in the end and what created such an awesome feeling of, of somebody offering a true gift to somebody else is that it was just that. It was authentic. There wasn't any strings attached. There wasn't any like little gotcha caveat, come buy my book or, you know what I mean? It was, which <laughs> would have even been maybe okay. But so many of us, you know, when we get to a level of success, We start to ask ourselves, you know, how can I be more fulfilled? How can I be happier? How can I make my business better? If you want to solve your own problems, stop trying to solve your own problems. Like go help somebody else. And that's what Greg did here in like a really fun, authentic way. And a lot of cool things have transpired because of it. So big ups to Greg for being a generous entrepreneur who's giving back. Anything else you want to add, boss man? We put a ribbon on it. That's it. Really happy to hear this story. And in my eyes, really lucky to be a part of this story as well. Very cool. So if you guys want to weigh in on this episode or check out any of the show notes or links mentioned, it'll be posted at tropicalmba.com slash Greg's gift. And we'll be back next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tropical MBA podcast. You can go to tropicalmba.com, get access to hundreds of back episodes and all kinds of other goodies. Load up your iPod. That is the cheapest way to fly business class on your next international flight. We will see you next Thursday morning, 8 a.m. Eastern 